I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? All right, Tim, how do I usually start off this broadcast? You usually say, welcome to the broadcast. <laughs> this is Theology Unplugged Radio. Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is the you forgot the folks. Oh, folks! Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged Radio Podcast. I am Michael Patton, joined with Tim here at the studio in the Credo House of Theology in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you have not been here, shame on you. No matter how far away you live, this that is, a is great correct. place to be. It is wonderful. Um, and we are uh, not with Sam. No. No, we are just the two of us. Just the two of us. No, uh, we'll start all over. <laughs> Edit that out. We are not getting that unplugged. Uh, oh, and you can check out our new, if you want to just see the Credo House, go to credohouse.org. We have a new page there uh, where you can see some new pictures, and you can see our menu that we have of our Luther Latte and all that stuff, our Cappadocia bar. for our menu. That's right. And we will ship you something if you like. It'll be be terrible when it gets to you, but if you just want the uh, concept, we'd love to accommodate. Well, you can ship you a Credo House mug. That's about the best we can do. Yeah, maybe we could coffee. throw some beans in there yeah. so that you can grind them, grind them when you get there. Our special so, beans, Credo House beans. We call it the Credo blend, right? We do now. <laughs> um, no, Sam is not with us. He is uh, out of studio today, so we are not going to be continuing this week with our invitation to Calvinism. That's correct. But we are going to do a little special side broadcast that uh, Tim has come up with. So, Tim, is this the first time you've come up with a broadcast? Uh, Probably. I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for uh, letting me come up with it. Yeah, well, I'm excited about it. I didn't have to come up with it, so uh, it, it's a special one. But it was instigated by some emails that we received, Some something over the last, you know, over many years of being in ministry. You have uh, certain questions that are asked to you over and over again, and certain ones that are personal, certain ones that are very practical, and some mm-hmm. certain ones that are practical and, I think, good for everybody. Yeah, and I think this is one of those questions that uh, that somebody came and I, I got an email, and it said, "What books? You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm out here looking for books. I'm a mm-hmm. new Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if he was a new Christian, but he just said, I like books, but I don't know what to buy. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't want to go around spending a bunch of money on books that I don't need." And you guys are those who have been in ministry for a while, mm-hmm. and you guys know best about this. Yeah. I mean, it's just like any other field. You know, you, you go into engineering, or you go into health and fitness, and or you go into uh, history, and you want to know what the best books are in these areas. You don't want to just go out and start randomly picking up stuff, because exactly. it's a waste of time. Exactly. And I, was, I did a blog post with a chart on biblical interpretation uh, mistakes, basically, and then we had a comment on... On that as well, where someone said, uh, would you please, I, I love this list, uh, and we had some other books and stuff that we'd been doing, but would you please just give me kind of a must-have? And so so that uh, brought to mind of, of, of uh, Michael and I saying, uh, Michael, why don't we go in, and this was the idea, and this is the broadcast today, is uh, let's go into the studio, and let's just come up with, each of us, let's come up with a list of the ten books that we believe every Christian must have. Ten books that every Christian must have. Must have. 
Yeah, yeah. And so it, when we go into your house and we're looking at your shelves on your in your living room, we know that you're a Christian. We're hoping that you have these 10 books because we recognize that most people's funds are limited. You can't buy every book that comes out. You probably shouldn't buy every book that comes out. You're going to waste your time. We do it's believe stewardship or stewardship of our time. Exactly. Don't want to sit around and read things that don't make any difference. And we're fully recognizing that the Bible should be the book that we most uh, focus on because it's the only one that's written by by the God that we love. And so, uh, so what we want mainly okay, is ten for books us to focus besides on the, Bible. the Bible. Yeah. So, but what we'll probably see in our list is that some of these books are going to help us in our reading of the Bible, uh, but basically to say, if a Christian could only have 10 books, what would be the 10 books? And then we'll be posting on our blog uh, these lists as well, so you don't have to focus too much so on writing So I've got 10, them you've got 10. Yeah. Separate posts we're going to do? Or all Separate together? posts, yeah. Okay. And we'll try and bring Sam in here to do his own posts as well. He won't be on the broadcast, but he'll have his list so as well. So if you're listening to this right now, will it be posted? Is yes, we're going to post them all at the same time. Okay, yes. so they're already up. Folks, they're already if you're up. listening to this, go to the blog, reclaimthemind.org forward slash blog, and you can see a visual and a link to all these books on Amazon. That's right. That's and right. if you purchase these through us, we also get uh, a certain percentage because we're Amazon affiliates. So purchase them through us, and that'll support our ministry yeah, because it, we are a listener-supported broadcast. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit, and we do rely upon your generous gifts to our ministry, to exist and to eat and to drink our Luther lattes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And just to make sure that you know this as well, uh, we do get some some finances through Amazon, but it does not cost you any more. And so it'll be the exact same cost for you for that book, but then Amazon will give us a certain percentage. Okay, well, we've got a separate list we've got to get into, so we better jump right into it right now. Okay. So no particular order. Yes, so this is not a top 10 in the sense of number one is the biggest. These are just 10 random books okay. that we feel like no every down, Christian no drum roll. Yeah, yeah. No uh, no big climax at the right, end. Throw out your first one. Oh, the, my first one is the ESV Study Bible. Okay, now the reason, and feel free to, uh, you can boo mine, Michael, or you can cheer well, mine or anything. Boo so. the ESV? How can you boo any study Bible? Boo! No, uh, there's no, a couple study boo. Bibles that I would boo, personally. Okay, okay. Touche, uh, my friend. Okay, the ESV study Bible, what I love about it and why I'd put it on my top ten list of books that every Christian should have is because uh, I feel like it is the study Bible for our generation right now, where I would say the NIV study Bible, uh, I'm sure... Some people are going to hate me saying this, but I'd say the NIV Study Bible is probably the study Bible of the last decade. This one, I feel like, is a study Bible of this mm. decade, and uh, I love its breadth. I love uh, how uh, just the way it discusses things. Uh, it, I, I like the the way that Crossway uh, has put it out there. Its accessibility in multiple formats, the way that it's put into Kindle, uh, just so many things that I like about it. It has tons of illustrations, and so for you to have a companion next to you as you're reading through the Bible, hopefully every day, and you're not understanding things or you know that you could understand certain passages better, uh, I think having the ESV Study Bible right there will be an immense help to your Christian life. Well, you know, as a uh, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary that you are... 
Yes, that is correct. You are departing from the Ryrie Study Bible, and you may have some booze. Yeah, well, and so I, I love the Ryrie Study, but I actually have some funny stories about Charles Ryrie yeah, myself. Don't tell them. Shared don't tell them. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm no way against uh, Charles Ryrie, but uh, I, I just feel like if you could only own one study Bible, I personally would recommend the ESV Study Bible. All right, good. Let me go to my first one on this What's list your first in one? no particular order. Um, I've got John Stott commentary on Romans. Okay. So you gave a, a study Bible, which is kind of a, a mini commentary that yeah. is connected to a Bible that covers the entire Bible. This is a commentary, and folks, what a commentary is is simply someone explaining what the Bible means. Many times it takes a particular verse or a particular passage and goes through the entire book, section by section, verse by verse, word by word, word bringing out the things that you need to know historically, um, from a grammatical standpoint, things that stand out that you're probably not going to catch otherwise. Okay. Very helpful. The reason why I like John Stott's Romans Number one, it's Romans. I mean, yeah. Romans is if if I was to tell somebody, if somebody were to ask me, what books of the Bible should I read? You know, because that's another question that we often get that we yeah. do a separate bo- broadcast on. Okay, but people often ask me, where do I start in the Bible? You know, I just became a Christian, never read the Bible. I say, read Genesis, Exodus, John. Acts and Romans. Okay. Those are the main books. Genesis, Exodus, Old Testament, John, the Gospel, Acts, History of the Church, and Romans, really the systematic theology of the Christian faith, in a sense, from a biblical perspective. Mm. Paul wrote Romans, most systematic uh, uh, look at our faith, pulls it all together piece by piece, and a commentary on that is a wonderful thing to have. And John Stott, you don't get any better than that. He's out of Great Britain, great evangelical. But the thing is, this is very accessible. Commentary sometimes, you know, lots of Greek words, lots of things you don't understand. This is something you guys can get. Okay, good, good. I won't uh, boo your your choice with that one. Nice work. Uh, my number two book would be, now this is a little different, probably won't be on most people's attend list, but I, I think it's worth it, is the Archaeological Study Bible. Now my first two have been study Bibles. Uh, what I really like about the Archaeological Study Bible, if you could guess, it has archaeology information in it, but it has so much more. Michael and I uh, teach a, a boot camp, Bible boot camp on uh, on how to study the Bible, and one of the main weeks we focus on in there on the four week study is bridging the historical context with the idea. So many times you open the Bible and you feel like you have this huge culture shock that you've just stepped into a, a time, names, a place that you have no concept what's going on. You don't know what are the empires that are the major empires. You know Why did they name it that way? Why is Daniel talking about all these people that I've never heard of before? And I think what the Archaeological Study Bible does is it gives it to you in chewable bites that you're actually able to approach it and you look learn a ton of historical information that will enlighten your reading of the Bible, uh, but it won't overwhelm you. And so that's what I love about the Archaeological Study Bible. Many times I've walked away from my time in that study Bible just feeling like I've been grounded so much deeper into the background of a certain book of the Bible. So really we're talking about, whenever we're talking about archaeology, you're talking about 
historical issues. What's yeah. going on? Yeah, and so they will say, uh, you know, look at this discovery that sheds so much light or that proves this certain chapter of the Bible. That will happen a lot, but it, they'll also talk about these emperors and these uh, kingdoms and all of these historical places that they've been able to prove actually existed that someone like Daniel mentions or something. And so, so really what they're doing is they're bridging that gap for us between a history that we don't know about that was mentioned in the Bible and our present time so that we can better understand it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, two study Bibles on that list, archaeological study Bible. I've got on uh, next one on my list would be Charles Swindoll's Grace Awakening. Yeah. Good now, that book. won't surprise a lot of people because no. I, I often have referred to this and the impact that it's had on my Christian life. Well, and you're like the biggest Swindoll fan in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can prove it with the restraining order, too. <laughs> you can. Thank you. I didn't know you knew about that. Um, e- even the phone, you know, block and stuff. It's, really? Yeah, it's um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Grace Awakening is his uh, book that I, I think the best description of this, shortest description I can say is that the the Christian faith does not exist without grace. Mm. Uh, one of the things that we quickly become or easily become and gravitate towards after we become Christians are legalists. Legalists... Uh, it's it's a bunch of sets of do's and don'ts and pressure that you place upon yourself. It's like whenever you come to the cross, you let the burden. You you take this big backpack that you've been carrying around, a burden, a weight of trying to do things on your own strength to please God and, and relying upon yourself. And you take it off and you set it on the cross. You set it on Jesus and he takes it for you. Legalism picks it back up. And you put it on other people. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> the thing. You, you put it on yourself. And then you also share it with other people. Yeah. Grace is something that we all have to be grounded in. It's so important for our discipleship. If you have not had a grace awakening, then then I don't think you're going to ever be able to truly experience the Christian life. And Grace Awakening is the best book that I've ever seen on grace, most convicting, uh, wonderful book to pick up, easy to read. And these are books that, many of these books on our list, we would say it would be worthwhile for a believer to read these repeatedly, if not continually, with some of these study Bibles. Sure. So uh, my number three on the list is uh, Mere Christianity by mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis. Uh, this is one of of the books. I mean, when this is a book that was written uh, in the, well, the content came about in the 1940s, 1950s, I believe it was written in the 60s, uh, published. Uh, but Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis, you may know C.S. Lewis through Chronicles of Narnia, uh, was a wonderful Christian thinker, though. One, one thing I love about this book is that it, in many ways, is the benchmark book for how someone can love Jesus passionately with their heart, but be fully in intellectually. So you encounter someone, even yourself, who, uh, unfortunately, when you are growing up, many times you may ask your mom or your dad all these questions about the faith, and uh, a lot of times the response back is, uh, basically, stop asking questions, just believe. And unfortunately, that starts developing this idea that if I want to be intellectual, I need to be an atheist. If if I if I want to be a believer, I need to leave my brain behind. And C.S. Lewis blew that out of the water with mere Christianity. He was a 
atheist turned Christian. Yeah. Atheist intellectual turned Christian intellectual. Exactly, which is why uh, this book is not, it's written from his life in many ways. Uh, and so I would, uh, I would throw that on the list easily of a book that well, every believer should have. Let me say that I have that on my list, so scratch mm. that off my list. Agree 100%. Mere Christianity was very instrumental in my uh, devotion to Christ, especially with regards to what you said, you know, to be able mm. to stop and say, wait a minute, you know, this, this stuff is really true. Yeah. And it's not just because mom and dad told me it's true, that this is, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my recommendation, this is kind of weird, but my recommendation, the, the book is, I, I can't remember, it's many, many, many chapters because every, most of the chapters are like 10 pages or less. Uh, what I would do if, if this is your first time reading Mere Christianity, I would skip the first chapter. The, I still don't know half of what he's talking about in that first chapter. It, it's very confusing for me still. Um, and uh, I know it's just because Lewis is so much deeper of a thinker than I am. But if it's your first time through, just skip that first chapter and read the rest. Because I've known many people who have bought the book, or I've known some people who have bought the book, and through about halfway through the first chapter think that it's not for them and then they don't read the rest of it where mere christianity say just skip the first chapter enjoy the rest of the book and then come back and read the first chapter at the end okay well the next one on my list is one that we're going to both share okay uh pilgrim's progress yes that's my number four um john bunyan john bunyan yes uh 17th century uh i think 18th century okay um Old guy. But we're very unplugged here, so we're just shooting off the hip, really. Old guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Allegory. He, he's like 250 years old. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. not alive anymore. <laughs> no. uh, allegory. Yes. Which is going to be really weird for a lot of people. I, I, I bet most people listening have never read an allegory. Mm-hmm. And it'll take some time to get used to, but it's a it's a fictional book mm-hmm. that uses characters and, and animals and places to describe... Uh, principles and realities. And so as you're reading through it, there's always going to be an association. You know, Pilgrim is named Christian. So he's mm-hmm. the Christian of the, he, he actually carries a burden on his back, you know, yeah. a little, uh, an actual burden that he has to take off his back. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to cross the, the slew of despond to get to, you know, Christ and all kinds of things that you're going to be brought into the Christian faith with regards to particulars that will be very colorful. Yeah. But it is, uh, it's one of the greatest selling books of all time. Time, right? Yeah, it's behind the Bible. It's the number one Christian selling book ever, and it's in the top ten list of the most be- of the best selling books of all time. And I, we're not saying this simply because we want you to read the number two book of all time. No, well, there's a reason why it's the number two book of all exactly. time. Exactly, you can get a modernized version of it where it's not quite so King James English type to read. Yeah, but don't get too modernized where it's just like a ten page little booklet. Yeah. yeah. You you get the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest things is one of the crossing into heaven and the cross across the river and the fear that they have, the fear of death. The river represents yeah. death. Yeah. Crossing across it, you know, and the fear that you have is the fear of death. Wonderful thing. Wonderful about uh, how the Christian life ends. Yeah. But, but anyway, just to say why do we both have it on our list is not because we're just trying to be historical here and say mm-hmm. oh, you need to read one of the best-selling books of all time, but because it will impact you. You could read it over and over. I've got a dramatized version of it that mm-hmm. I can listen to in the car. It's actually tapes, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's such a thing as well, a tape player what's anymore. A, what's a tape? Uh, it's 
Uh, too long to explain. Okay. <laughs> but Pilgrim's Progress makes both of our lists get it. Yeah. Real quick, uh, Charles Spurgeon said that he read Pilgrim's Progress 60 times. Wow. So, I mean, ama- I mean, that guy read a lot of books, but still, to to know of someone who's known as, as one of the greatest preachers that's ever lived, mm-hmm. to, and, and he went through massive depression and everything, and basically, whatever struggles you have in your life uh john bunyan was there he spent time a lot of time in prison uh, because he preached the gospel and they told him that you would be in prison if you did so he did and he was um his daughter was blind and they didn't have social services at that time and so his daughter actually had to be in prison with him so that he could actually feed her and different things and so the guy went through tremendous pain uh, but wrote this book actually from his prison cell so you got to read it Pilgrim's Progress, get it. Uh, num- number five uh, for me is uh, five and six are two volume work. Um, the Story of Christianity by Gonzalez. Uh, these, Which again, we're going to share. We're going to share five of our books. So. Yeah, so that's good. We yeah. strongly disagree on five others, but yeah, strongly. <laughs> uh, the Story of Christianity. This is basically. I would feel that you need to have some grounding in church history. Church history for me are our roots. Those are our family roots, and uh, the roots of a tree keep a tree from falling over when the wind blows. Uh, the roots nourish the tree, and that's what church history does for us. It, it lets us know where we've been. Uh, the Spirit has been working in people's lives for 2,000 years. Uh, we can't neglect that. Uh, G.K. Chesterton re- referred to our focus today uh, that we have a tyranny of the living. We think that only the the new bestseller, only people who are living have a voice and can speak into our lives. And what we need to recognize is that we stand on the shoulders of so many greats uh, through church history and many other reasons why we should. Basically, this two-volume by Gonzalez called The Story of Christianity, in my opinion, is the best quickest, um, most uh, palatable, most consumable uh, church history book uh, that will really give you a good grounding but won't stay too long in one area so that you can keep going. I agree. And, you know, I've read I don't know how many, uh, you know, surveys of church history, church history books, history of doctrine, but this is the best one out there, the story of Christianity. And that's what it is. I mean, you think about it. You become a Christian. You want to know the story of Christianity. Yeah. And and the thing is, not only do we have the tyranny of the living, it's like a Bradley Nassif, Eastern Orthodox theologian, and Eastern Orthodox are usually more historically inclined to stand upon people's shoulders and recognize mm. those who are under them. But uh, he, he said about evangelicalism that we have historical amnesia. We mm. don't know where we have come from, therefore we don't know where we're going. Yeah. Folks, whenever you become a Christian, sit down. I mean, you're going to reread the Bible, these other things as well. But sit down and understand the history of your faith. And it's Get not going to dry you out. I mean, it's going to fire you up. It's going to sure. stir your heart. For it's sure. going to be good stuff. All right. Uh, so that's my five and six. I don't want to get too ahead. Okay. G- uh, give me one from your side. Cross of Christ, John Stott. Okay. Good stuff. Um, this is a, another Stott book, so I've got two Stotts here. Okay. Uh, Cross of Christ is, is a book about salvation. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Mm. It's a book about understanding what happened to the cross, what, what Christ did, why Christ went to the cross, uh, what the atonement is. Great biblical words of theology will be discussed there in a way that is accessible and you'll understand. Redemption, propitiation, atonement. Mm. What, what is the cross all about? It will absolutely revolutionize and deepen your faith whenever you begin to understand. 
the cross of Christ and what the atonement means. Well, uh, what are the, I mean, uh, of all of history, if you could point to one place that you say is the apex of church history, I would say it's the cross. Or the apex of history. Yeah. Not just church yes, history. Yeah, very good. Uh, apex of all history, and it's the cross. And we need to understand what the cross was about. So, so, so you could probably write about the cross. You probably would run out of things to say about the cross at what thirty pages? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, I, it's not a really big book. I mean, it's about three hundred and fifty pages, maybe. Yeah. But it's a it's a it's a masterpiece on the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, and I, I think probably every Bible college and seminary, there are many classes that rec- that have this as a required book that yeah. you must buy. Yeah. Uh, but it is accessible. This is a book that that you can actually read. Yeah, so, yeah, all of these are. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't be on our list. We do, we don't want to have you spend money getting books that are just going to be sitting on mm-hmm. your shelves. Some of these are going to be reference books, but they're reference books in the sense that you should actually reference them yeah. uh, with some regularity. So, uh, okay, I'm at number six. Why don't you do another one, Michael? Why? Uh, I feel like I'm just getting a little ahead of you. No, you're not no? ahead of me. Okay, okay, I'll throw out my number seven, uh, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Well, that's going to be one we share anyway. Okay. Again, one of the other ones. Both on our list. Uh, this is one of the reference books that I just talked about, probably the reference book uh, that are on both of our lists. Uh, w- what Wayne Grudem does here, now this is a big, thick book. Like This is something that you could hold down probably a tent with in a heavy wind, yeah. I'm guessing. So this is 900 to 1,200 pages maybe. Yeah, my I think more than that. I think it's 1,400 or so. Okay. Uh, Basically what it is is every subject matter that you can think about that would be possibly mentioned in the Bible is is written about. So what does the Bible say about angels? Well, there's two ways to to learn about this. One is to look in Grudem's book, and the other is to read through the entire Bible in one sitting and to write down everything where angels are mentioned, then to compare them, and then to learn about church history and to, to learn about all the different nuances in there. Uh, than to come up with what's mentioned in the hope that you've done it correctly. Yeah, this well, this in no way replaces the Bible or Bible reading, but it pulls together everything. Yeah, it's gonna it's a guide. It's gonna yeah. walk you through not just. It's a the, handbook to our yeah. our beliefs. Yeah, it's you just know, a big yeah, one. I became a Christian. What do I need? Well, here I, I just got hired here. What do I need? Here's your employee handbook. You know? Yeah. Instead of a, you're gonna experience it every day and and see things that happen every day here as an employee. But here's a handbook to reference it all. This is kind of like that. This is a handbook to the Bible. Crash course in many ways, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Got to have a systematic theology. Lots of systematic theologies out there. Lots of good ones. Lots of really good ones. Yeah. But uh, we think that both of us think that Grudem is the most accessible. Yeah, very accessible. It's it's devotional. There are hymns in the back. There's there's passages that you can memorize that are about that subject matter and stuff. And so it, it's meant to be pretty holistic and yeah. uh, and enjoyable actually. And so we have and, and get the big one, folks. Get the big one. Don't get the you know the uh, boil, boiled down version of it. I mean, you need this. This is something you'll keep forever. Yeah, yeah. And you should use it. You should teach your family how to use it. Uh, there, it's a wealth of information inside of that. A lot of time that uh, Wayne Groom spent on that, and it, it's been uh, beneficial for thousands of people already. Um, so uh, that's one that we share, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. My number eight is... is, is yeah, How come you get to go again? Well, because we shared that one, so I figured that took it off the list. Right. But no, I'll, I'll, I'll throw the book into, or the ball into your court, man. Okay. Uh, how to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. This is simply this. 
How do I learn to read the Bible? How do I understand the Bible? What are the rules for interpreting the Bible? What uh, we, we have a fancy word sometimes we use for uh, interpretation of the Bible. We say hermeneutics. Okay. Uh, what is a hermeneutic? A hermeneutic is a rule or a guidebook on how to study the Bible. Okay, let me stop you right there, man. Uh, uh, no, I, no, because I'm going to explain myself. You're uh, acting okay. like I'm getting too technical, and I'm not. I'm getting ready to Well, myself. I'm just going to tell you I don't like rules. Oh. So, okay. like, why, if if there are other people on the planet that don't like rules, especially when it relates to the Bible, I mean, come on, I, I want to focus on Jesus, I want to love Jesus, I want to love God, and then you're coming out here, like, being all weird on me, telling me that I need rules. So why do I need rules? Well, because the Bible is not just one book. The okay. Bible is 66 books. It's 66 books written to different circumstances, different situations, in different types of literature. Okay. It is God's word, yes, but it is also written through man. And whenever man communicates, there are certain rules that we follow by. Just like whenever we're talking right now, we are speaking in English, um, Oklahoma English, but that's just a accent that we might have, or I might have. Yeah. But um, we, we use a subject-verb-object ob- relationship, right? Okay. Subject comes first, verb comes next, and the object comes at the end. Those are rules. Yeah. If we don't speak in such a way, we're not going to understand each other. Okay. I can jumble up everything and put different letters and different words and even speak in a different language. And you say, wait a minute, you're breaking the rules of communication. Okay. There are rules for communication whenever you're reading something and reading the Bible especially. And folks, there those rules are broken by many, many people. A lot of people just say, well, it's God's word. I'll open it up and find guidance for my day, put my finger down right on the first verse that I see, and whatever I see, that is what God is telling me. Ah, you broke the rules. That is not how it's supposed to be interpreted. Okay. Different types of literature. There are songs, rules for interpreting songs, rules for interpreting personal letters, rules for interpreting history, rules for interpreting parables, rules for interpreting hyperbole or exaggerations. Okay. Can there be exaggerations in the Bible? Can, what does it mean whenever something is written more personally to someone else, like Paul's letter to Timothy and to Titus or to Philemon? How do we process these? Folks, don't think that you can just come to the Bible and automatically, somehow, intuitively, you've got the rules in your mind. They're not. We've got to learn how to study the Bible. This is the best book, I think, that is the most accessible out there for how to study the Bible. How to study the Bible, Gordon Fee. Awesome. Okay, my number eight is is crazy, uh, but I wanted to throw a book in here that is is not a normal book. That that's going to be a book that uh, might not be read a lot, but it'll be just a quick book that if you feel like you're getting a little dry with these other books that might be a little bit more challenging, this will just be an easy read that'll stir your heart. So I chose a Francis Chan as the author. And either the book Crazy Love or Forgotten God. I think both are fabulous books. Uh, both really stir your heart and can really push you forward. So, when so. you say either the book, this or that, does that mean that that uh, that's one and you're counting it as two, or two and you're counting it as yeah, one? Yeah, I'm kind of cheating on this one, okay. but but I'm just saying, you know, if someone says, you know, what are the ten books? I would say, well, you know, maybe read the descriptions on Amazon of Crazy Love, read the description and the comments on Forgotten God, and see which one you feel like is going to really, you know, fit you best for right now. So while I'm a stock guy, you're going to be a Chan guy on your list. Just, well, I don't particular. have... Yeah, I'd say so. 
Uh, okay, I'm going to cheat too then. Okay. And I'm going to cheat a lot worse than you because I'm going to add a 12-volume set. Yeah. Okay? Set that's singular. Not, that's not set cheating. Singular, not 12-volume sets. Set. Okay. okay. Well, it's still cheating. But go ahead, man. Yeah, you cheated. What is it? Um, Expositor's Bible Commentary. Now, okay. once again, we move into this area of commentaries, like with Romans John Stott. Romans John Stott was one book, one commentary on that one book. Yeah. This is going to be a 12-volume set that covers every book of the Bible, okay. has introductions to every book of the Bible, has in-depth articles about even hermeneutics, how to read the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. But best of all, this is a group of evangelical scholars, many scholars who came together, and depending upon what they were most uh, able to understand and what they are most known for, they would take a particular book or a particular prophet in the Old Testament, or a particular um, book in the New Testament, and that's what they would be responsible for. Mm-hmm. So you get the best of evangelical scholarship on the entire Bible, explaining to you the entire Bible, and only a 12-volume set. I know that sounds like a lot, <laughs> but, but you need a good, solid, multi-volume set. There's a lot of one-volume sets out there that are great, but you need a good, solid, multi-volume set. This is the most accessible. It's You can probably get it for $199 mm-hmm. on a Christian book, but get that. It's going to be a huge investment. Basically, think of it this way. You're reading through the Bible. You come across any verse that you feel like you don't understand in any book. You can you have on your shelf at least a page or two, and especially if it's a difficult verse, you may have several pages that are written just for you by some of the most capable people loving God, loving his word, devoting their life to help you understand that book of the Bible, and it's on your shelf accessible to you. And and those are all in digital formats as well. Um, so good one. My number nine is a little different. Uh, I went a little historical here. It's Real Christianity by William Wilberforce. Uh, Wilberforce was a, a great man who uh, was actually in, in government in Great Britain and was one of the leading people who helped uh, basically turn around the the British Empire to end slavery in the British Empire and wrote this book about what's the difference between someone who just goes to church and just goes down the the line and thinks that just by showing up in a building and by being in a family or being in a community where people just go to church that that's real Christianity and says no real Christianity is this passionate love for Christ that changes every bit of your being he wrote this book over 200 years ago, uh, but as I read through it, it, it really changed me, and and I think it's a good way to link up with someone from the past that can really have a present uh, real effect in your life today, and so I would recommend that one heavily. All right, good. Go to your last one, and then I'll do my last one. Okay. I'm out other than... Okay, my last one, number 10, is Reason for God by Tim Keller. Uh, this book is is a newer book. It's written by a guy who's a pastor in New York City. And what he does basically is think of any question that you yourself would ask about God. You know, How can God allow uh, people to be in hell forever? Uh, how can a good God kill the Canaanites? How can all of these, basically any question that a coworker might ask you, an atheist might ask you, you may ask yourself in the mirror. He, he walks through in a really accessible way, as short as possible, uh, walks through all of these reasons and writes in a great way. He's been, uh, a lot of people are calling him the C.S. Lewis of this generation, so reason for God I'd put in my top ten list. All right, good. Uh, My last one is the Elwell's Dictionary of Theology. Mm. Elwell Dictionary of Theology. This is kind of like... 
uh, talking about that uh, multi-volume set where you have multiple scholars coming in talking about a particular book in the Bible. Well, these are multiple scholars all coming together, writing a big, thick, you know, multi-thousand mm-hmm. or maybe 2,000, I don't know, 1,500-page book. <laughs> but it's just a dictionary. I mean, every term, everything that you can think of with regards to the Christian faith, both historic and contemporary, you're going to be able to find in here and have mm-hmm. it defined. I mean, whether it's uh, uh, canon. What does canon mean? You, know, you heard somebody say the canon of Scripture. Well, you look it up and you'll find out that canon is referring to the accepted a gun? books. A gun? Huh? A gun? No, not a can not a gun, not in okay. the world not in the uh civil war. Okay. But the accepted books of the Bible. That's mm. what the canon is. Then we give you the history of the canon. How did we discover the, or how did we uh, how did the church decide upon the canon? Okay. That what's the controversies with regards to that? Some people say the apocrypha and you don't know what that means. Well, you'll go to the this dictionary and immediately be able to find Apocrypha. And in the Apocrypha, you'll find that it is the books that the Roman Catholics have in their Bible, but mm. Protestants do not, and most Eastern Orthodox mm. do not, or sometimes do not. So that that's a good book. It's a reference book. It's something to keep beside you while you're doing theology, while you're studying. And it's done by multiple scholars, big articles on each one, just about every subject that you can think of. And that's I don't know what I'd do without that. Yeah. So this is our, our 10 list. We'll, we'll try and get Sam to come up with his. So look on the blog for all of these lists. Uh, and also look at these lists as maybe you have all these. Does your pastor have these? Does your youth pastor have these? Uh, maybe uh, someone that you're mentoring, do they have these books? Uh, be on the lookout to to resource these books to friends and family members because these are the books that have changed Michael and I the most and that we really believe will have a lasting impact impact on you as well yep yeah again five out of the ten of each of ours are are the same and yeah we didn't plan on that so no. that, that was uh significant yeah folks i hope you enjoyed this broadcast a little bit extended edition of theology unplugged please remember once again this is a listener supported broadcast or really it, we, we we are a supported ministry that the majority of what we do is made possible because people like you who believe in what we're doing, mm-hmm. who, who um, uh, benefit from what we're doing, decide to become contributors to this ministry. And it could be a one-time contribution, but we also really need people who stand with us monthly. If you go to our site, mm-hmm. reclaimingthemind.org, click on Donate, you can very easily become a monthly donor, whether it's $20 a month, $5 a month or $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, that we we have no lack of vision for what we're doing here, mm-hmm. but we rely upon you guys uh, as the Lord moves through your heart so that we can continue to offer broadcasts such as these, the mm-hmm. blog, the theology program, the theology boot camps, the discipleship program, and the credo houses, yeah. uh, the Luther lattes. So uh, keep that in mind, folks. Don't say that often, but... Uh, Keep that in mind. Also, shoot us an email. Tell us what you think of the broadcast. Tell us what you think about what we're doing here. Um, you can reach us at, um, well, my the, the email that I've been using for Theology Unplugged. I don't think I have it accessible right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Well, no, I can, I can put it back on there. Okay. My computer crashed, and so I have not been able to get to it. That's a broadcast in itself. Theology Unplugged at... ReclaimingTheMind.org, Theology Unplugged at ReclaimingTheMind.org. Shoot us an email. Let us know if you're on if you're on iTunes. Write a review of this. That's a great way to get other people to look because people look at reviews. Yeah. 
All right, that's it. That's all I got. You got anything, Tim? Nope, that's all. All right, until next week, we'll continue the series on uh, Invitation to Calvinism. God bless. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.